Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. a new year of the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, senior editor at Billboard, and as always, number one Broadway fan here. So it's not exactly news that plenty of movies are being turned into Broadway shows these days. Uh, Waitress, which is on Broadway now, is maybe one of the best I've seen in a while. Uh, A couple of years ago, there was a really excellent Heathers musical, uh, which I hope comes back at some point. Um, And those are just a couple of recent favorites of mine. Coming up soon, we're going to have both a Pretty Woman musical and a Working Girl musical. But these are all notably Broadway shows. They're all done on a big scale with similarly sized ambitions, which honestly aren't always met to their utmost degree. Sometimes I think a musical adaptation of a movie doesn't have to be on Les Mis scale, and in fact is maybe better suited for off-Broadway, maybe even for a non-traditional space. And the proof I have for you uh, right now is something that when you first hear it, you may laugh. It is Cruel Intentions, the musical. Yes, that Cruel Intentions, the delightfully campy 1999 film that was meant to be a modern take on Dangerous Liaisons. It starred Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Phillippe, Reese Witherspoon, and Selma Blair. It was eminently quotable, and it happened to also have a really killer late 90s soundtrack. Well, that soundtrack is now basically the soundtrack of the musical, Um, but it's not really what you maybe might think of first when you hear the word musical. It's performed essentially in a club. Uh, The show started out in LA, and now it's in New York at Le Poisson Rouge, which is a sort of multi-purpose music club in the village. There's a band on stage the whole time. And among the many joys of the show, chief among them that if you are a fan of the film, you're going to hear many of your favorite lines performed to gloriously dramatic effect, uh, is hearing the wide span of pop songs that make it in. Songs by No Doubt, Goo Goo Dolls, R.E.M., Alanis Morissette, Ace of Bass, Jewel, and so many more, including one incredible number that somehow is a mashup of the Cardigans Love Fool, 
Garbage is only happy when it rains. In sinks, bye bye bye, and Marcy playgrounds, sex and candy. I know, incredible. Uh, so recently, I had so much fun talking '90s music and how you turn this movie into an unorthodox musical with a few of the stars and creators. It seems like a great way to kick off the podcast in the new year. First of all, you delightful group of people who I can already <laughs> tell I am. Why don't you go around and tell us who you are? Sure. I'm Jordan Ross. I'm the co-creator of Cruel Intentions, the musical. I'm Constantine Rasuli, and I play Sebastian Valmont. I'm Carrie St. Louis, and I play Annette Hargrove. And I'm Lindsay Rosen, and I'm also the co-creator and director of Cruel Intentions, the musical. So among all of you delightful people, who's sick twisted yet <laughs> amazing idea was it that cruel intention should be a musical in the Jordan Ross. Yeah. Jordan. Um, Jordan. it was mine uh, it all started when i did a sixth grade production of bye bye birdie no um, <laughs> no i've always loved musical theater i've always loved this movie it's definitely in the top five and uh i've loved it since i saw it i think i loved it before i even knew what it was about so um i think as i got older i got to see some of the themes and the story underneath of it and when i sat down and decided i wanted to do um a musical it felt like a the, the it was the choice was clear it actually was on tv when i sat down in front of my computer to be like what am i gonna choose and it was just there like fate um <laughs> and then i met Lindsay, and together we uh brought you this sexy fun heartbreaking tale to the stage <laughs> <laughs> well i mean music is such an iconic part of it but what, was that the reason that you thought, yes, a musical of Cruel Intentions will work? Or what about it made it seem like it would translate? Um, I think it just, I think it's a lot of the universal themes that are in the story that I felt like would make the, the great transition to the stage. I, you know, I, of course, the soundtrack is iconic, but, you know, there are more songs on that soundtrack that are more iconic than others. So it was sort of filling in the gaps for the story where we had to figure out what songs are going to fit inside of that. Um, but I, I like. I think it's. I think it's hysterical. I think it is so offensive in so many ways. <laughs> but I think that that's what makes it special. Is that we don't have to take ourselves too seriously when you sit and watch this movie, and you can be on that emotional roller coaster from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the I feel like the campiness of it must be very freeing. Like you can just feel like you can do anything, mood wise, emotion wise, as you go through the show. Yeah, we do. But but the thing that we've sort of been saying from the beginning um, is that this our musical is sort of a love letter to the movie. And so we don't we, we try to we just try to do it as as sort of straightforward as we can. Mm -hmm. And the emotions of the movie sort of speak for themselves. Right. Like all the comedy is there. The drama is there. The feels. I think one thing that surprises people about Cruel Intentions the Musical is by act two, Carrie's going to sing Foolish Games and you're going to cry. And you <laughs> yes. might not be, you might not believe me right now, but I promise it's you. True. And I think that I think it sneaks up on people. People, just how emotional the material is and I think that goes back to the source material um, with Dangerous Liaisons being the source material for Cruel Intentions and th there's something there's just the these elements of betrayal and heartbreak and love and, and all the things that work so well on stage and I think that's why it's sort of this happy um, a little bit of an accident that you mix like classic theater with pop music and you get this wonderful night out 
I've had so many friends come already, and they always say, oh, I was having such a great time, and then you came on stage, and all of a sudden I was crying, and I didn't know why, and I couldn't figure it out. And I think it's because also there's such a nostalgia factor to the show that people, you know, you're hearing these songs that you experienced your first heartbreak and listened to that song nonstop on your disc man or whatever, you know? Um, So it's these, it's, it's... It reminds you of just a time in your life and you're immediately transported back to that. And I think that that's what also sneaks up on people is is hearing this music and this story and remembering where you were when you first heard that song and the person you were, you know. Yeah, Jordan and I have talked about that a lot, actually, that we we feel sort of if you were to if we if we ever did the show without um, the dialogue and just saying the songs, there's sort of an emotional arc that just the music takes you on throughout the show. Mm. And that's really fun. There's sort of a rock concert vibe to the whole to the whole show. And there are several moments in the show, if I remember correctly, where it's like a song leading into a part of another song leading into a part of another song where there's it's almost like a medley ends up telling the story for you. Yeah, there's a my favorite part of the show is the act one finale, which is a huge mega medley. Um, we should give a big shout out to our musical director, Zach Spound, yeah, who Zach arranged Spound, the hell out of all these 90s <laughs> songs. And the, uh, the act one finale is, is you know, the structure of One Day More. So he literally yeah. told <laughs> Zach uh, that I would love One Day More with pop songs. And that's what he did. He's brilliant. One Day More with pop songs is just a genius idea yeah, in general. It's <laughs> casual. It's casual. <laughs> well, when you talk about the nostalgia element of it, too, being in the audience is such a fun experience because I feel like you realize there are very few movies now that people memorize the lines to the mm-hmm. way they do something like Cruel Intentions. And you can, I wonder if as actors, can you feel the anticipation that people have as they're like waiting for certain things to happen on stage and certain lines to happen? Oh, absolutely. I can remember the first time we did it in Los Angeles. Um, our Catherine at the time was, you know, saying her big spiel about I'm the Marsha effing Brady of the Upper East Side and yes. sometimes I want to kill myself and the whole audience just joined together and said it with her. Yeah. So that's what we love and we want people to come and enjoy it as much as we do. And it's fun to be in an immersive interactive space like that where people are drinking and eating and having fun and are entering our world. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a brilliant idea. That's I'm very happy that we are doing it in uh, our space at La Poisson Rouge. <laughs> and, it's not, and it's not just fans of the movie. When Reese Witherspoon came to see the show, um, famously, there's a moment in the middle of Act 2 where um, Annette says, wait, to Sebastian before she runs to kiss him, and Reese out loud in the theater with everybody said, wait. And it was just a beautiful moment to know that those lines have stuck with the actors as much as it stuck with the fans, which is pretty cool. That is incredible. Well, I want to return to that night at some point because I read it and was like, <laughs> I wish I... And I saw it on Instagram and I wish that I was there. But, um, I mean, Constantine and Carrie, you both have done big Broadway shows before I know you mentioned the immersiveness of this and I feel like it has this very in the in the setting of Le Poisson Rouge at least and I don't know what it was like in LA it has this sort of enjoyably scrappy DIY putting on a show kind of feel it feels like you guys are all running around and constantly doing something on stage like what is the appeal or what was the appeal of doing a show like this to the two of you that's different from being on a huge huge stage um yeah, for sure. The appeal is that I, th- I feel like the pressure, there's not a crazy amount of pressure as there is to being in a proscenium stage, you know, with um, a bunch of like thousands of seats and, you know, you're just stuck on that stage from, you know, stage right to stage left from 14 to 14. Um, it's um, it's just super fun and you get to feel everybody's just emotion as well as your own with everybody on the stage with you. So that's super, you know, beautiful. And um yeah, the space just works. I mean, our we're it's fun. It's a fun '90s throwback. So, would you want to be sitting in a like seat 
for two hours not being able to move or sing or dance and react? Yeah. Or did you, did, would you want to be singing and dancing with us and enjoying your time drinking and getting into the world of, of the 90s again, which is super fun? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it is scrappy and it's definitely <laughs> fun. And that's where people come and get blown away because you see it's a very minimal stage. It's, we, ha we have chairs and our bands on stage with us and there's not really a set. But the fact that the story and the songs can take you on this journey makes it 1,000% just a, an amazing show. I should, I should say, just to interject for a minute, that the band is incredible. There is, like, so much. Am I right? There's so much electric piano. It's, like, really enjoyable. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> oh, yes. Which is also a 90s throwback. And <laughs> like, you hear them playing such a wide variety of songs. You're like, oh, yeah. wow, whoever, like, put together these arrangements had a lot of fun, yeah. I exactly. would think. It's, like, every style. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it's it, the thing that's that's different that's great is that they're, we're breaking the fourth wall. And I think in a lot of shows... Um, that I've done before, you know, you, you perform on a stage for a crowd that's very far away from you. You've got all these costumes and lights and sets. And then after the show, you go and meet them. And they, it's, it's sort of a weird interaction because they've just been watching you, but there's a separation there. And I think what's really cool about our show is that we're, we're in the middle of the audience. We're there. We're right in front of their faces. We can see them reacting. It, they're a part of our world. They're a part of the story. Um, so that's been really neat for me, and especially coming out after the show. Like, it's just everyone's just kind of hanging out, and I think that that's a really neat thing in theater to have. Um, and, like, I'll echo what Connie said in that people, my friends have said it's really impressive that without a set, really, or without a lot of props or anything, they're, everyone visualizes the world and they totally get it and you don't need any of that stuff. And having it in a sort of bar nightclub setting just makes it really cool and fun and it's in the village and it's just like, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, that was by design as Jordan and I conceptualized the idea of how we're going to do it and how we're going to do it. And we've always done the show in an immersive space. We're so happy to be at LPR and it's literally the perfect space in New York to do the show. Mm -hmm. um, but we always said that we wanted the show to just appear, like, appear in the place where we are. And I think that goes back to what you were saying about like ownership of the movie and the way that fans quote this movie and feel like it's sort of theirs. It's it the the show exists in a place where the people are and so that's that was always the style and even at this moment where, where we you know had conversations with our set designer and we may would have been in a moment maybe do we add sets and you know it's a conscious choice to be like no this is just going to happen on stage with the band as our main set piece because it's really about the music and three chairs and our incredibly talented cast so talking about the playlist how did you go about attacking putting it together in the first place because it's well, it's there's the music in the movie there's the embarrassment of riches that is late 90s music in general and as you kind of already referred to like the the music is used in different ways in the show there's mm -hmm. the music from the movie there are the moments like foolish games that are quite earnest and then there are things like when Catherine sings bitch that you're just like Yes. Right. There was first of all, there was never another song choice for that moment. It had to be that. Um, no, I mean Lindsay and I are both childs in the '90s. Most of our cast is also, and these are the songs that we listened to in the car on the way to camp and on you know on the way to school. And those songs became the the songs we would sing drunk with our friends in college, and then the songs we sing at karaoke now. And you know, Lindsay and I always said we wanted to pick songs that were like the top. 20 to 25 songs of the 90s and I think that we found those and it's just a testament to that decade of music how you can suddenly hear that song and like you said know every single word although maybe you don't remember the title you just it takes you back to that moment and we wanted those moments throughout the show and we wanted them to be narrative and emotional and really tell that story so I think 
for me personally, like I picked all the songs that I I love and we went through them and figured out the best way to weave them into the already existing script. And I feel pretty good about the fact that I think my main some of my main musical contributions have to do with the boy band songs <laughs> and the Britney Spears that joined <laughs> a little bit later in the process because that was just my, you know, nineties kid world. Um, but I but I think that one thing Jordan mentioned the word narrative and that's one way where we use music maybe a little bit differently than other shows um, that are jukebox musicals where the tr- the song choices always had to drive narrative and like yes they're funny and yes they're emotional but we wanted to make sure that they were telling the story and so that was really the benchmark for us to make sure that the lyrics told the story as much as the song itself. Mm-hmm. So for the two of you what are your favorite songs to perform in the show or are there songs that have been sort of unexpected like the way you hear them now? different from how you knew of them before the show? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, Kid of the 90s, love all of the 90s songs that we that they've chosen. But um, I think my favorite, uh, two favorite moments in the show, and I don't even sing most of them. <laughs> I love, There's a there, we sing Torn by Natalie and Bruglia, which yes. you would never expect a man to sing. But <laughs> then they've made it a, a duet. This is like battle off between Sebastian and Annette. And it's one of, I love it so yeah. much. It's a huge, crucial moment in our, you know, love story. And then what kills me every night, literally kills me, I'm crying on stage, is when she starts singing Foolish Games. It's after that big, big scene where <laughs> we all know what happens in that scene. And I turn her down. I say, no, I can't do this. And it's heartbreaking and it sneaks up on you. And then I'm like, God damn, Jewel, you are killing me right now because <laughs> that song is just giving me all the feels. Jewel yes. and Natalie yeah. and Brigley both. And every time, every time Torn starts, the whole audience, there's a re- immediate reaction. Cause everybody remembers that song and knows that song. And it kind of comes in a moment where nobody's really expecting it. And it works so perfectly. And so I agree. Torn is also a favorite. And I love Foolish Games, yeah. obviously. It's that, I mean, you hear the opening chords, the piano of that song, and everyone, I, I, you can feel everyone sort of gasp a little bit in the audience because they know everyone has a knows the first time they heard that song or listening to that song over and over. So I agree. Yeah. I think all of our, all of our yeah. songs get that kind of reaction yeah. from the audience, which I think just reinforces the choices that Lindsay and I made for the show. You know, it's like they laugh or they, like you said, they gasp and it's, it's that recognition moment. And I think that's one of the most exciting mm-hmm. things for me being in the audience as I jump around the theater during shows is that like that moment where they realize, Oh my God, they're going there. or Oh my God, this song or Oh my God, uh, you know that I, I I remember the first time that I heard that song, and you can feel that in the room when they sing these songs. And I know that it does wonders for them on stage, and makes you feel like you're a part of this show completely from start to finish. I would think too that as vocalists, it's challenging because there's such a wide variety of pop subgenres that are sort of covered throughout the show. Like it seems like you're having to like vocally adapt all over the place in kind yeah, of a short span I w- of time. I agree with that. Yeah. Also, you you just you want to do them justice. You know, if you're going to be singing these songs, you want to do them either on an elevated level so that people it's a new take on of it. Or at least you just don't ever want to let anybody down because everyone loves these songs and knows these songs so well. So I think there's the added bit of that. But I think the way that we approach approach them and the way that they're in the story already people people yeah. seem to respond super well. People, I mean, when they come see it, they're like, wow, you guys don't, don't sound Broadway at all. And I'm like, <laughs> I know we're singing. A, we're singing kind of <laughs> song. So thank you so much. Um, also, what's wrong with Broadway? Exactly. Um, the problem of our time. Problem of our time. I was like, you want this vibrato. Let me tell yeah. you, I'm going to yes. give this. This is a trained this boy. This trained vibrato. <laughs> I went to the school of Merman. Um, <laughs> but to see them and, and, you know, love all these songs is great. But yeah, it's a challenge because you, you want to bring your own 
vocal style to this song, but of course everyone remembers Christina Aguilera singing Genie and Bottle or, mm -hmm. you know, Jewel. So you still want to give them a little hint of original, but mixed with some new age flair. <laughs> <laughs> Whispered, you like that? <laughs> Dramatic effect. Flair is not something in short supply in this song. <laughs> I'm realizing also now as I speak to you, Constantine, that like, have you, do you find yourself in real life talking like Sebastian ever? Um, because yeah, it's like, it's such, it's such a voice. You kind of are him. Yeah. It's not even, honestly, when Sarah Michelle Geller came to see the show, I will never forget that. I almost pooped myself multiple times. <laughs> And she, as would we all, as we, we, as would we all, I was like, Buffy the Vampire Fire Slayer is literally behind me. And um, she came up to me and she goes, I'm sorry, I just really need to pull you aside. And I was like, Oh God, she hates me. And she was like, You are Ryan. She goes, You are doing your mannerisms, the way you speak are identical to him. And I said, I hope that's a good thing. And she was like, Oh my God, it's amazing. She was like, I just texted him. I was like, Okay, great. Incredible. And but, then he ultimately then he came to see the show too. Was, he yeah. was like, Way to keep the Valmont name alive, brother. Yes. <laughs> he, gave, he gave Connie a standing he ovation, a standing after, ovation after, after Iris. That was pretty amazing. Wow. wow, that would, speaking of all the emotions, <laughs> that, would, that would give them to me. Yeah, it was amazing. So I have to say that as, as an audience member and a music person sitting and listening to the show, I was like, how did they get to use all of this music? <laughs> so without, without going into a very boring <laughs> copyright discussion, like, how did you do it? And do, do any of these artists know that they're part of a musical now? They do. Actually, some of them have come to see the show. Um, like Lance Bass and Joy Fatone like, both came in Los Angeles. But we've right. stolen Amazing. everything. No, no, no. We no. Not true. <laughs> not true at all. Honestly, totally this kidding. is I, we're like pin Jordan. We're kind of pinching ourselves that all these music publishers said yes. Um, you know, we obviously have a great legal team and, and, and we're so, you know, sort of grateful for that. But I think it is a testament um, to the music, A, eh? and 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 knowing just how, you know, fans would respond to this music and sort of the importance of this music. Um, but we just feel really lucky because, um, you know, when, when like when Jordan first conceived of the idea, obviously day one, you know, we, we these, this was like the wish list of what we could do. And now we're sitting here off Broadway with all of the rights to this music. And it's pretty... Um, we're still a little bit flabbergasted, but I think it just speaks to the quality of the show. Um, you know, the 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 way that this, um, where we are, it's actually mind-boggling to think that we're actually like 30 years away from 1990 almost and, you know, 20 years away from the end of the 90s. I know it's insane, but the fact that these songs have just been sort of embedded in our musical consciousness and you know it's time it's time that they're in a, that they're up on stage in a show i mean i know obviously we have a former rock of ages a reformer in yes. our midst but you know that the, you know the 80s moment we were you know just talking about you know the 90s being the new 80s just in terms of the nostalgia factor and the mm -hmm. time of it all and so i think it was i think really we're just uh, uh happy lucky about the timing that it was time for these songs to be up on stage I like the idea that the 90s or the new 80s yeah. is really so it's a revelatory. Mind. It's I think so I stole true. That from yeah, she stole it from <laughs> me, but I will totally give it to her. Steal from the best. <laughs> when I was when I was in college, my dorm had an 80s dance, and it was like my job to come up with the playlist for two years, which was obviously a very important job. And now I don't think they even have it anymore because I don't think the children remember the 80s enough to make fun of it. Well, I just saw met someone and they go. I'm sorry. What's cruel intentions? And I how dare they? Kick how them in the face. dare you? That is yeah. That, that is not extremely rude. <laughs> so rude. I was like, oh god, please. But it, is, it is really fun that like Lauren Zachary, who plays Catherine Matoy, and I both did Rock of Ages, and um, we both played Sherry at different times, and <laughs> she actually replaced me as Sherry on Broadway um, when I went to go do another show, and so it's just funny now to be in the '90s jukebox musical, and this this is so much more our music and our generation of music mm -hmm. so we're just i mean i'm thrilled 
It's a I'm happy like, rock on when, when the next one comes around. The yeah, next give me the decade. early 2000s. I'm going to be 80 years old. Have your people call people. That'll be a good show, too. Nope. Besides uh, Lance and Joey, and I want to know about their reactions, who mm. else has been to the show of note? Ashley Parker Angel was just here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. Shout out to Ash. Hey, Ash. Ash. Oh, my God. Yeah, and Jonathan Groff just came last week, um, which was wonderful to have him in the audience. Very cool. Um, we saw, I mean, we had, I mean, Selma, Reese, and Sarah came for their epic girls' night out, which yes. was really exciting. And Ryan came to uh, support, too. Sean, Sean Patrick, Patrick Thomas, Thomas was there. Um, and. Um, we saw a bunch of, I think, you know, we had a very, it's been a, it's been a long road here, a really exciting long road, and we've had some really great supporters throughout the journey, and, um, you know, tell all your friends, and we hope they come and see it here in New York, too. <laughs> did you, the night, so the night that Selma, Sarah, and Reese came, did you know they were coming? How did that all play out? We did know they were coming. Sarah had come um, on our opening night with Roger Cumble and Sean and a couple other friends, and just loved it, and so she emailed and said she wanted to come back and bring Reese and Selma, and was that okay? And we were like, yes, please. That would be Sorry, wonderful. we're full. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Sold out that night. No, thank you. And they, they just came. They had, they had a blast. I mean, I think for them, I think it's also a testament to how much fun they had you know shooting the movie and mm-hmm. Jordan and I have gotten to hear lots of really fun stories from the set and what it was like for Roger and Neil Moritz who produced the movie and is actually now a co-producer on the musical with us but they um they had a blast and they just think so fondly of this movie so for them it's like coming back to something that they just love and and have warm feelings about and and the original cast has just continued to be sort of our biggest fans and supporters on social media and and they will be back we're, we're we know that they're coming back to see it in New York so that's very exciting. Well, it seems like, as is the case with so many uh, contemporary musicals that really take off, that social media has been a big part of what's spread news about the show and made it into this kind of phenomenon that seems to be... I I mean, did you expect it to go on as long as it has in multiple cities? Absolutely not. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, look, I mean, honestly, the piece of advice that I got before we did the musical was a, a writer friend of mine in Los Angeles. I said, how do I get a job? And he said, set yourself, do something that's going to set yourself apart from everybody else. Um, and that was sort of where the inspiration to do Cruel Intentions, the musical came from, or just the drive. Um, but when Lindsay and I sat down that first day at Arts Delicatessen in Studio City <laughs> to go through the script, we were doing a three-show concept presentation and that was going to be it. And um, I think we were okay with that. We just wanted to put the best show up and it's continued to snowball and turn into this. And, you know, for the longest time, we were our own social media team um, doing all of the marketing and all the promotion and, you know, just trying to do a grassroots kind of campaign so that people would come out and see the show and support the show. And I think we're both very blessed and fortunate that we are here right now and that it took off the way that it did. And I'll never forget getting a Facebook message from Jordan. We cast him off a Facebook message. They cast me off of a Facebook message. And I was (laughs) in New York. I think it was like Christmas time. And I was actually still doing um, another show here. And I was just, you know, here in in New Jersey, my parents' house. And I get a message from Jordan saying, hey, man, my name is Jordan Ross. And I um, saw you in a bunch of stuff. But we're doing a reading of Cruel Intentions (laughs) in a bar. And we want you to play Sebastian. And I was like, <laughs> mm, in my head, I'm like, okay, thank you, but I'm good. And I didn't respond, and I like slept on it. And the next day, I woke up, and I was like, you know what? It's one of your favorite movies. Just do the damn reading and see what happens. And now I'm here three years later, enjoying my time here in New York with these lovely people. And it's been a dream come true. 
And I, and I was actually just talking to Roger Cumble about this last night. I think that, you know, we're, Jordan and I feel, you know, so lucky to sort of get to play in his sandbox, as we like to say. But I think the reason that we're still here all these years later is because, you know, we, we, we're doing something right. And I know Roger wouldn't, you know, have get, have given us permission to, to use his movie. And, you know, the like we said, the we wouldn't have gotten the music rights if we weren't, you know, doing something right and putting it together in a way that really speaks to just this time and this moment and what our contemporaries want to see in on stage. Uh, and have a fun night out. Completely. Well, Roger, the director of the original movie, what is his reaction to all of this? Like, how has he he's responded? Been our, he's been our biggest advocate. I mean, he came he came for our second uh, concept presentation in Los Angeles and has sort of been along with us on this ride ever since. You know, Lindsay and I got the chance to work with him on the uh, NBC television pilot that we shot last year um, that we co-wrote, and we spent a lot of time with him, and we got to get inside the, the heads of these characters and kind of learn where they came from and... Um, we're just so lucky that, you know, we, we love him. He's like a, he's like a second father, I think to both of us in a way. And, uh, it's, it's really nice to continue to be able to, uh, work with him in this capacity. It's a cool second father to have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still involved. I mean, he's still yeah. involved in the process. Yeah. He was here two weeks ago working with us and with the cast and I heard some stories that I didn't know you know and so it's, it's just it's good to have that perspective as well in and, terms of and for me as a director you know Roger is just an incredible mentor and, and I've really just trying to follow in his footsteps from directing theater to directing you know film and television so he's just continued to be um, a source of information about all things sort of cool intentions and you know navigating um, inter- the entertainment industry in general do you have a sense of where the show might go after this next run in New York Yes, we're hoping we're hoping we're we're looking towards a, a national tour. So that's 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 our our goal. Um, hopefully for 2018 into 2019, uh, we'd like to take this all over the country. Amazing, spread cruel intentions yeah, get a little, everywhere. Get a little cruel everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> happy hunting all over the world. Happy yeah. hunting. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, all of you. So thank super you. Fun. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> Can you do that with a harmony? Um, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Jokes. Awesome. Thank you. Cruel Intentions, the musical, is playing at Le Poisson Rouge in New York through February 19th. And you can go to cruelmusical.com to see the exact dates that it's there. As always, if you're a fan of the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please subscribe and give us lots of nice stars and reviews on iTunes. And we'll be back next week. Thanks. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.